Farragut. Fratricide, zip to 10. Number 734-508-32. Had been brought to this old iron place on a late summer's day. He wore no leg irons but was manacled to nine other men, four of them black and all of them younger than he. The windows of the van were so high and unclean that he could not see the color of the sky or any of the lights and shapes of the world he was leaving. He had been given forty milligrams of methadone three hours earlier, and, torpid, he wanted to see the light of day. The driver, he noticed, stopped for traffic lights, blew his horn, and braked on steep hills. But this was all they seemed to share with the rest of humanity. The inestimable shyness of men seemed to paralyze most of them, but not the man manacled to his right. He was a gaunt man with bright hair and a face hideously disfigured by boils and acne. I hear they have a ball team, and if I can play ball, I'll be all right. Just so long as I can pitch a game, I'll stay alive, he said. If I can play ball, that'll be enough for me. I never know the score, though. That's the way I pitch. The year before last, I pitched a no-hitter for North Edmonston, and I didn't know about it until I come off the mound and heard everybody yelling. And I never got laid free, never once. I paid anywhere from fifty cents to fifty dollars, but I never once shot a lump for free. I guess that's like not knowing the score. Nobody ever give it to me willingly. I know hundreds of men, not so good-looking as me, who get it for nothing all the time but I never got it once, not once for nothing. I just wish I had it free once. The van stopped. The man on Farragut's left was tall, and striding out of the van into the yard threw Farragut to his knees. Farragut got to his feet. He saw the escutcheon for the first and, he thought, the last time. This was where he would die. Then, he saw the blue sky and nailed his identity to it, and to the phrasing of four letters that he had begun to write to his wife, his lawyer, his governor, and his bishop. A handful of people watched them quick-step across the yard. Then he distinctly heard a voice say, But they look so nice! That would have been some innocent, some stray, and Farragut heard a man in uniform say, Turn your back and any one of them would put a shiv in it. But the stray was right. The blue in the space between the van and the prison was the first spread of blue some of them had seen in months. How extraordinary it was, and how truly pure they seemed. They would never again look so well. The light of the sky, shining into their condemned faces, showed a great richness of purpose and innocence. They murder, said the god. They rape, they stuff babies into furnaces, they'd strangle their own mother for a stick of chewing gum. Then he turned from the stray to the convicts and began to call, You're going to be good boys, you're going to be good boys, you're gonna be good, good boys. He spread out his call like a train whistle, a hound's belling, some late-night lonely song or cry. They pulled one another up some stairs into a shabby room. 
Falconer was very shabby, and the shabbiness of the place, everything one saw and touched and smelled, had the dimension of neglect, gave the impression briefly that this must surely be the twilight and the dying of enforced penance, although there was a tenanted death house in the north of the place. The bars had been enameled white many years ago, but the enamel had been worn back to iron at the chest level, where men instinctively held them. In a farther room, the guard who called them good boys unlocked their irons, and the deep pleasure of being able to move his arms and his shoulders freely was something Farragut shared with the others. They all rubbed their wrists with their hands. "'What time you got?' asked the man with boils. Ten-fifteen, said Farragut. I mean, what time of year, said the man. You got one of them calendar watches. I want to know the time of year. Here, let me see it. Let me see it.